I'm Mia Graham, and you're listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. I'm here with opinion columnist Victoria Helmer, who recently wrote an article in The Wire about the importance of having compassion for your past self. In quarantine, I think we've all had a little too much time to ruminate on our past mistakes, so self-compassion has never been so important. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Could you give a little introduction? Yeah, I'm Victoria. I'm a senior here and an anthropology major, and I'm very new to The Wire, and I just joined about a month ago, but I'm really loving the experience. That's so cool. What inspired you to write this piece about self-compassion? Yeah, so I think that I, like you, have been reflecting quite a bit on my past And originally, I actually was writing about how, this is so embarrassing, but how when I was in high school, I went through a phase where I used to wear this tattoo-type, like, choker every day, and it was this, like, little ritual I had, and I was going to talk about it, like, pretty at length in my original idea for this article and have this whole thing on how, you know, it was this kind of coping mechanism that I used um, at the time and just how I was going through a lot in high school, like to put it lightly, (laughs) and how, you know, it was just like this huge struggle for me, I think, due to a lot of different reasons. And so I think to go back to the choker, I was gonna have this extended metaphor on how I felt like this formless blob of a human being and how like putting this thing on every morning helped me feel more in touch with my body and just like a regular human being in a way. And so I, I, I thought a lot about, you know, writing that, like, as my hook to this article. But then I thought, you know, I feel like that would be kind of a lot. I'm not sure if, like, people would want to read an article, like, starting exactly like that. And also, at the same time, though, I was, like, trying to have compassion for my past self and think, you know, like, she was really just doing what she did at the time with the tools that she had and just doing what she needed, I guess, to survive on a basic level. And yeah, but then I decided to go with something more physical, I guess, and something more recent. And, you know, talk about this physical wound to make a kind of strong or, I guess, more like simple connection between like physical wounds and the healing process with that and emotional wounds and how the processes can be similar in some ways, but also very much different. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who hasn't read the article yet, can you describe that experience a little bit of cutting your finger? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it was like, it was such a a strange experience, I guess, because I was making a curry with my friend, and it was this, like, chickpea curry with kale, and I was, like, having an amazing time with my friend, and then suddenly, of course, you know, I opened a can, and I think I just put my hand out, 
without thinking and then you know it was just like the wrong place at the wrong time and <laughs> and I was like really not focused on it and like yeah and I it, it was also my my right hand which is my dominant hand which kind of sucked and I got kind of lightheaded from the whole experience and also importantly it it happened on a Saturday around a month ago I want to say in Walla Walla when the weather forecast told us that the air quality was hazardous right. and so yeah yeah <laughs> um and I didn't have any band-aids at the time of my own like none of my own band-aids and so <laughs> and so you know my friend had to band-aid me up and <laughs> yeah yeah, and it was just this whole experience, and I don't know, I guess, like, in a weird way, it almost reminded me of my vulnerability, like, as a human being, and just made me feel, I guess, grateful for having people that care about me, slash my housemate that, that band-aided me up, and my other housemate in the process, because if I had to have gone out to the store to get my own band-aids, it would have been, yeah. you know, <laughs> really rough, of course the place <laughs> yeah 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 I actually just had a similar experience too where I was running in Pioneer Park and I tripped over a tree branch this is when there were high oh, no. and there's tree branches everywhere and I don't think I've skinned my knees since I was like seven. Oh, <laughs> both of my knees super bloody my thumb was completely torn up because I was holding my phone and I was also reminded of that you know, like, even physically, we're not invincible. We're, you know, like, there are, there are times when you start hurting, and, and your, your skin breaks, or you, you realize that, you know, life isn't as solid as you once thought it was, and then instead of tearing yourself up about it, having some compassion. So that kind of leads yeah. to my next question, is, like, when you have those moments where you realize, you're not as strong as you thought you were, or you have some big regrets. How do you practice self-compassion? Yeah, I first want to say that I really think that it's, you know, this practice. I, I really like the use of the word practice there because it reminds me a lot of this one interview of Sam Smith with Jamila Jamil, where he talks about self-love being a practice rather than a destination because I think that self-compassion like is amazing but just so difficult and I think that for some people at least I can only speak for myself but I, I just think that sometimes it can be really difficult to be like this baseline feeling of okay with who you are as a person um so I think that when it comes to like reflecting on my mistakes and my regrets, something that was really helpful for me that my ex-counselor told me is that you can grieve your past self and you can kind of let go, which sounds so frustratingly simple and is really, I think, can be a very long process, but I think that part of it also is being okay with who you are in the present moment. I think it's all about being okay with imperfections, 
or or like Alan Watts was saying, like thinking of yourself as perfect and everyone else and everything else in the universe as perfect, which I think is not necessarily like something that vibes with me as easily, but I think also a very interesting idea to consider for some. I guess to talk about the idea of imperfection a little bit more and kind of that, you know, embracing imperfection versus everything is perfect, like those two mindsets, reminds me a lot of two songs that were really important to me growing up, which I think both were all about trying to get you down to this mindset of self-compassion. The first one being Nobody's Perfect by Hannah Montana. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the other one being Who Says by Selena Gomez. Because um, I think in some ways they, you know, on a surface level, tell kind of conflicting messages. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about like two different routes to self-compassion, I guess. Yeah, and it's so powerful to, to see famous people admitting that they also have these doubts and these regrets. And so, I mean, for me, it was so moving to read your piece because oftentimes we think we're alone in our self-doubt. And I was actually listening to a Michelle Obama podcast talking about the exact same thing, having that, she called it, am I good enough syndrome? And I mean, I think there's a lot of times when we think we're the only ones in the universe who are so self-destructive. And one of the keys to me for having, to being okay with that is being vulnerable. And I, I wanna thank you for sharing that story about the choker earlier in the episode because being vulnerable is, is key to understanding our own faults and our own patterns of self-deprecation. So I want to thank you for that and also ask what ways that you express that self-compassion for yourself and how, how to be kind and patient with yourself. Yeah. Done, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that for me, I think it really has to do a lot almost with being kind to others. And I think that accepting myself for who I am, I think has to do a lot with accepting others with where they are currently too. And I think that I'm mostly reflecting on my, I guess, friendships and, you know, trying to think about other people with the patience that I at least try to have for myself. And, you know, I, I feel like it's like really difficult because I think there's a point where, you know, like, I don't know exactly how to put it, I guess, but where you can like forgive, but not forget. <laughs> and so I think that also like accepting yourself for who you are can also mean just like standing up for yourself and like really embodying that sense of enoughness and sense of self-esteem in that way because I think that for the longest time I it sounds almost kind of sad but I think from the ages of like 13 to 19 I think in a lot of ways I was this kind of doormat in a I guess doormat like tendencies and 
it was almost like this punching bag for some of my friends, sadly, without even realizing it. And so I think that part of it for me, I think, has to do with like standing up for myself, but also just trying to be kind and, you know, when I like mess up and hurt someone when I don't mean to, you know, the kind of, I mentioned this in this, in my article, but the nurturing, what can you learn from this kind of experience Mm -hmm. or kind of question to ask myself, but yeah. Yeah, because it's so easy to let mistakes define you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like a second step after you've learned how to be kind to yourself is asserting yourself, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really love the way you put that. (laughs) If you had a button that you could press that said, you'll never make a mistake again in your life, would you press it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh gosh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, part of me is just wondering about like, what it would mean to have that kind of button, if you know what I mean? Because I feel like my definition of a mistake, like from, you know, day to day, like can fluctuate so quickly. Um, So I guess, I don't know, I would like take the button, but like throw it out the window. (laughs) Or, yeah. And because, I don't know, I just feel like like failure is so important. Like I feel like, I, I think that our generation can be kind of afraid to fail in a lot of ways, or at least I saw that a lot in my in my childhood. And I guess also at Whitman in some ways, I think, but you know, I think that I think that it can be really freeing to see experiences that people would, you know, often view or label as, you know, a failure as just this neutral like something that you did or something that happened to you like I feel like it can be really nice to make space for nothingness if that makes sense and kind of just seeing things with neutrality which might sound I guess kind of hippy-dippy but I think it's the way I like to live my life sometimes I like that like beating yourself up for anything kind of yeah Yeah, yeah. I'd like to go back, if you don't mind, to that idea of being a doormat and being maybe being walked on, being used. Where does self-compassion play into that? What advice would you give to anyone who is feeling the same way? I think that's an amazing question. I think right now I'm reflecting on this one YouTube video I watched of and, and it was done by this amazing person named Hitomi Mochizuki. And the title of the video is talking about my depression while feeling depressed. I think in part of the video, she like discusses what allows her to stand up for herself. And I think part of it, honestly, for me is just going with my feelings and kind of accepting my feelings as they are and rather than suppressing any anger I might have you know kind of tapping into it and 
which I think can be really uncomfortable for me. And also like for the people who aren't used to me standing up for myself, uncomfortable for them too. But I think that it boils down to like embracing that kind of discomfort, whether it's, you know, your own or someone else's. And yeah, I think, I think part of it too is just, I think that's something that a lot of people like me who have struggled with, you know, avoiding conflict too much and maybe being a bit of a doormat in some ways, um, just not, I don't know. I guess part of it too is just having this, the self-esteem that you need to be angry, if that makes sense. And, you know, instead of viewing someone wronging you as your own fault or, you know, a reflection of yourself that, I, I don't know, you know, once you realize that everyone's projecting all the time, like it makes your life so much easier and like to have compassion for people when they are, you know, maybe not the nicest to you either. And, you know, having, I feel like just forgiveness for yourself and others to me is really key. Totally. I also, this is making me wonder about if there's a gender component, because there's an often, I've, I've, as you were talking, I found myself nodding my head and relating a lot to what you had to say about suppressing anger, being nice, all those expectations that you're supposed to be happy and kind constantly. And I think you touched on this about how self-compassion when you're angry or when you're sad or experiencing the full range of emotions, because we're human. That's another part of being human is we're going to feel things and we're going to feel them deeply. Maybe that's an example of what to do maybe would be when you're scared, not saying fear go away, but instead being compassionate and treating your fear the way you would treat a friend who is feeling afraid saying like, I don't know, you can do this, you can get through it, having that kind of self-talk versus the negative self-talk that you were, you were kind of touching on about having to suppress those feelings. Oh yeah, I think, oh gosh, I, I totally am with you on all of that. And there's so many things I'm thinking of right now. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is this whole concept of loving awareness in the words of Jack Kornfield, who's this like spiritual teacher, which is basically this, I guess to put it in more like less spiritual and more kind of broad audience, like accessible terms, is really just all about, like you were saying, you know, non-judgment and kind of radically accepting how you're feeling. And oh, also, I, I think loving awareness to me reminds me a lot of this whole concept of radical acceptance, dialectical behavior therapy, um, which at least one definition of the concept is kind of surrendering to how you're feeling and like the term suggests, like having not just an acceptance, but a radical acceptance and doing so in a way that you or anyone, I guess, might not have been taught to 
accept feelings or at least like I know like growing up I was always told oh you're too sensitive mm -hmm. so I think I was sadly kind of taught to feel abnormal in my emotions and you know I think that to a certain degree like you know like being sensitive can be really hard and in some ways like a toll on relationships but you know at the same time it's just like my emotional makeup and I can't really do much about it at the end of the day and in a lot of ways I think it's like now that I've kind of grown out of the like oh you're too sensitive mindset I think almost like something that can help me cultivate compassion and empathy for others yeah asset too yeah it really can be it really can be I just feel like in so many ways you know we're all born with these like gifts yeah. um and I think that sometimes we can be told by others that you know it's not a gift but you know a deficit or something because I know there are some people who are maybe on the complete opposite side of the spectrum where they're very like bold and you know like they might like you know assert their like thoughts like with a lot more fluidity than like me for example you know I, I think sometimes like people can see that and get annoyed by you know people being like very opinionated or whatever but it's like it's also a strength in a lot of ways I think it's a matter of like harnessing you know I guess what you're born with and kind of this dance between nature and nurture. Totally. And I, I like what you said about those behaviors that sometimes we can see as annoying, but noticing that there's always a positive side to those behaviors and there's always a strength behind a weakness. Um, I think that's yeah. a cool idea. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I also was thinking when you, when you talked about having compassion for your emotions and letting them come instead of repressing them, I think that's huge. And I've learned through cognitive behavioral therapy that like the only way out is through, right? If you're afraid or if you're sad, if you, you have, if you're angry, the only way to process those emotions and make it go away really is because that's what you want. You want the emotions to go away. The only way you can do that is by letting them in and experiencing them, no matter how uncomfortable that is, experiencing them. And then through that acceptance, the radical acceptance that you were talking about, you can kind of make your way out of it. And I just, I thought that's such a powerful thing. And I really want to encourage anyone who's listening right now to try that the next time they're feeling a really overwhelming emotion is to just sit for a second in the discomfort and see what happens. Yeah, it reminds me a lot actually of this one book I was reading and I think it was by the author Emily Nagoski and it was either Burnout or Come As You Are. I'm reflecting a bit on some of the ideas that she brought up in this book and I think that one um, something she had to say that I really resonated with that is very much like in alignment with the only way out is through was how 
you know, if you're healing from a physical wound, like the entire healing process will be painful. Like you'll still be healing, but you know, there's no way to like really avoid that pain. Similarly with emotional wounds, like, you know, when, if you have them, I think it can be very, very painful to, you know, go through them. And like you were saying, with, with the healing process, it's, it's almost just like tapping into a different kind of pain, like sitting with that discomfort. So I'm really loving this conversation because I think this is some of the most important stuff you could learn. Emotional um, intelligence is so important. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that this stuff isn't taught in classrooms. I am totally on the same board. In one of my classes, we were reading this book on depression, and I thought it was so powerful because it went through this one woman's experience in her healing process and just like the rituals that that entailed and yeah, really her whole journey. And so I thought that that was really powerful. And I think something that was maybe missing a little bit from my experience in high school. And yeah, I, I really feel like it's something that should be taught in classrooms, like what you were saying. It's just like, how can someone, like no one is ever like born, like feeling bad, you know, but at the same time, like no one is born with the tools that, you know, it can be really helpful to have to cope with feeling bad. And so I feel like, you know, learning from others, whether that's like in a school-based environment or like with a therapist or I guess like spiritual guide, like everyone has their own, you know, different ways of coping. But I, I just think the whole idea of like learning is really powerful. I, I just feel like it kind of, presupposes this position of like humility and you know it's it's almost like like what some people would refer to as like surrender in more spiritual spaces but yeah totally and I also think it's important to note here that you don't have to have a diagnosis to to need help or to need guidance with these things I think often there's a separation between the mental health world and how you think of yourself. Because honestly, you know, most of us during quarantine are also struggling with some of these emotions and it's never really been acceptable to have these kinds of conversations on a normal basis. So I think it's important to note here that you don't have to have a doctor's note to use these tools and to learn about your own emotional health. There's been a lot of talk about like a mental health epidemic rising with the COVID epidemic, pandemic. So I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually have quite strong thoughts on this because in March, I wanna say, or in April, I actually became a crisis counselor at the crisis text line. Just the amount of people that we have texting in, like saying that they not only feel bad, but, you know, feel bad about feeling bad, even though it's like 100% reasonable to feel bad in these times is kind of, you know, high. Like there are a lot of people, I think, feeling that 
double pain, I want to say, of like shame. And I was kind of referring to this in an earlier article of mine, but you know, secondary emotions and like sadness over feeling sad, worry over worry, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, yeah, I feel like it's this whole practice too, like, um, well, at least to me about, you know, I think it can be really hard to learn how to not feel bad about feeling bad. And um, yeah, I feel like reaching out and that sort of thing can be really helpful. And also just like, I remember even telling um, someone in, in one of my conversations or one of the text conversations, you know, like, and, and, and this kind of goes along with this theme of having self-compassion for your past self um, and that very much being rooted in having compassion for your present self of, you know, it's never too late to be who you want to be. But at the same time, like telling them, I remember telling them, um, you know, I, I accept you where you are in your journey and it's okay to be feeling down in the dumps like you are right now. It's so important to have compassion, self-compassion for those bad feelings because, you know, it's easy to think you're the only one having them, but this is, this is everyone's experience. And so first noting that and then knowing that you can take care of yourself and, and you can have compassion for those bad feelings and treat them with kindness and patience. That is so important right now. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel the same way. And yeah, I think something that my ex-counselor told me, like during some of our sessions was just like, you know, it's okay to cry. Like this is a space where you can let it out. And it's really helpful to it can be really cathartic to process and you know also I guess this is kind of something I've that we've been talking about but you know I feel like it's this there's also there's also like a process that can help you you know create space to actually process if that makes sense yeah and I just want to flag here that this is all easier said than done, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we can talk as much as we want about having kindness for ourselves, but it's a process and it's a learning experience and nobody's born with that kind of aptitude. So it's something we have to work at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, it really is so hard sometimes <laughs> or not even sometimes. I think, yeah, just a lot of the time for a lot of people. Yeah. It's funny because I don't think anyone can speak on authority about this. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it figured out. And having compassion for that, the fact that we're all learning. (laughs) We're not. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's at the core of your article and something that we should all be practicing in these pandemic times for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because I feel like this entire time, or like not the entire time, but like throughout our conversation, I've still been having that little voice in my head that's that's doing that little negative self-talk thing where like, is your voice sounding professional enough? Or like, you shouldn't have asked that question. Or all the, those little tiny regrets that and those little tiny voices that keep eating away, you know, your confidence and your ability to do something. And so 
I think everyone has a different experience with those voices. For me, I'm wondering if it's because of my female identity that that's so ingrained and I'm checking myself all the time, but also, I don't know, I think everybody struggles with this. So what are your thoughts on that? I feel like a lot of the times it can be stereotyped as almost this like, you know, adolescent teenage girl kind of thing. But I just feel like, uh, you know, the more I think about it and the more I'm, you know, exposed to hints or like depictions of male inner voices, like the more I think it's something that can be really sadly common. And I think something I'm thinking about right now is the TV show BoJack Horseman, because there's this one episode that starts with his inner monologue, and it is just so loud and so cruel, and hearing it made me feel so sad for this animated character, who's also a horse, by the way, (laughs) but, you know, I think just feeling or going through something that I think is very much, you know, something that a lot of humans can go through. And I think it's kind of sad because later in the episode, I remember it was either his daughter or his long-lost half-sister who asks him if this inner voice goes away because she was talking about how she has this voice that, you know, tells her that she's stupid or it tells herself that she's a loser, those sorts of things. And it was like so heartbreaking because he had earlier in the episode, like promised to not lie to her. And yet, you know, he said, yes, like it does go away. And it was a very somber point in the episode too. And it's also just making me think of the phrase, time heals all wounds, which I think sounds, you know, very much like a positive idea. And I guess, you know, some wounds do get better with time. But I think that sadly, a lot of the times with these emotional wounds, you know, like trauma can kind of stay in the body and stay in the mind. And without the, you know, proper practices, or I think proper support, sometimes we can even stay with them our entire lives and yeah I think it's something that's very common and definitely very much present in in all genders. It is yeah it's interesting because sometimes if we aren't honest with those emotions like the horse wasn't honest they just become bigger and stronger. We mentioned how important vulnerability was earlier in the episode and just returning to that concept of being honest, being vulnerable, and how big of a help that can be. No matter, like it seems like the wrong thing to do. It seems scary. Like every every fiber in your being is telling you not to go there and not to mm-hmm. be honest and not to be vulnerable. But it's, it's that hurdle. I mean, going back, the only way out is through. And <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you can't, I mean, I guess the emotions will just get bigger and stronger and more scary the longer that they're being pushed away from you. So it's, yeah. it totally seems like the opposite of what you should be doing. <laughs> like, it just it doesn't seem right to, to be letting them in and to be allowing them and to be 
open with them and honest and, and like opening up to people, it feels like the wrong, it feels like a mistake and it's terrifying, but really, I, I truly believe that that's, that's the biggest way out. So I, I want to talk to you about, I'm super interested in your crisis counselor job at the crisis text line. I think that's a really interesting position to be in. So I wanted to ask, how did you get into that job? Like what drew you to it and what did you learn along the way? Yeah, so I applied to become a crisis counselor in March or April of this year. And I think that part of the motivation had to do a lot with how so many people have been describing our current pandemic as, you know, these twin pandemics with physical health, of course, being what we're talking about a lot of the time, but mental health being the, I guess, twin that's maybe not paid as much attention to. But I think that I'm someone who's very much mental health oriented. I, you know, went to a high school that had a, you know, suicide cluster. And so I think ever since I was young, I've just been kind of taught by a lot of my peers and, you know, people in my like educational environment to be very in tune with my mental health. And, you know, I've had my own mental health struggles. So I thought, you know, like I, you know, could be a good candidate for a crisis counselor. And I also just like comforting people and, you know, giving people advice. And I think that, you know, ever since a young age, I've been pretty attuned to the fact that we as human beings are capable of suffering and suffering too. Yeah. And then, so what tools did you learn from having that job? Yeah, so I think something I'm thinking about right now is the five-stage philosophy that we're supposed to follow as crisis counselors and that we're trained in. And something I'm thinking about right now is how the first step is to build trust and connection through validating how the texter is feeling and how that is really essential to um, the whole rest of the conversation really and how without that or without the knowing that it's an accepting kind of space that it can be difficult to have a you know like fruitful conversation and so I think something else that's emphasized in our training is not telling people what to do and instead working kind of like as a team with our texters and you know rather than telling people to do x for example will something that you know we are supposed to ask people uh, is you know what activities in the past have you tried you know what do you personally find healing and like what are the things that you do that you know when after you're doing them like you don't feel regret for example 
because I think in the past like or something that I'm honestly struggling with right now is like feelings of regret when it comes to my very recent past self if that makes sense and just you know which I guess it's all about like it's all a process <laughs> yeah yeah and I think sometimes people you know sometimes I'll ask these questions and people don't know what they'd you know like to do or what they'd like to try and I feel like that's also really valid too yeah because um, I think yeah yeah what are some tools that people can have in their little emotional intelligence toolbox um, that they could open up sometime during quarantine? Do you have any ideas of things people could try? Yeah, um, at least something that I really, really love um, is having mantras. I like to write them down. Um, and, you know, something I'm thinking about is how mantra can be like translated roughly to mind tools. Or I think someone has also, you know, referred to them as like mind protection. And so, yeah, at least something I like a lot to get myself in a kind of self-compassionate headspace is like no more, no less, because I've struggled a lot with my own confidence. And something I've also been enjoying a lot lately is yoga like particularly yoga with Adrian, because I think that like doing things that get you out of your thinking mind and like kind of into your body instead can be so healing. And so I, I like to do a lot of like yoga positions that require balance and like focus so that, you know, I'm just really firmly rooted in the present with those activities. And I also just really like guided meditations, too. Would you recommend? I really like the channel, The Honest Guys. They have this really beautiful, like, guided meditation on, I think that it's called, like, a mindfulness meditation or something like that. And it's just, like, 10 minutes. And they, I think one part of it is, like, you know, see your thoughts as colored balloons as separate from you and let them go. And I'm just like, yes. That kind of <laughs> whenever I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like whenever I hear that, I just love that whole um, concept. And, you know, just like the whole idea of like not believing everything that you think. Sometimes like I'll hear things that like, you know, I tell myself and like, you know, like I might in the moment believe them to be true, but then I'll take a, I'll take a step back and think, wait, I'm just hungry. And like, or like, you know, or no, or just like something like, I guess, quote unquote, irrationally like negative, like, I don't know. Yeah. But also like, sometimes I guess like this is something you know, it might sound like a little bit quote-unquote like fake deep, but it's like also, you know, if you were your thoughts, then who is the person observing them? Or like, who's the person listening? And I feel like it can be really helpful to, you know, have that sense of like disconnect from that inner voice inside and even like giving it a name sometimes. I feel like in the past I've like found that to be helpful so that I can like tell them you've come to visit me and I'll listen to you but then you know I'll, I'll try to let you go and you know yeah. I totally I mean I do that too like I, but instead of the balloon image I have like cars on a street 
And being an objective observer of your thoughts is like totally an underrated activity, but it's so helpful. And giving a name to fears or emotions and kind of being an objective observer, I think that's incredibly helpful. Yeah. Is there anything, any other tools? I love um, That's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Something I love to do is just like go on walks and like, you know, I haven't been walking too much lately, but at least since I'm living close to the Whitman campus right now, something I've been really loving is just, you know, taking these short walks to campus and like kind of nature bathing almost like looking up at the trees and yeah like I feel like that's been really nice and I you know I try to make it like a phone free time too yeah. I sometimes bring my phone I don't know <laughs> yeah. but yeah yeah I guess like doing nothing in that way has been something I've been liking I love that it's also Thanks. Just so people know, it's clinically proven that spending two hours or more in nature, they call it forest bathing, can increase your dopamine levels. So go go hug some trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially in days where there's a lot of, there's not a lot of structure these days. Like you wake up, you kind of roll to your screen to hot log on a Zoom class. And then what do you do after class? You're going to do homework. Like I think it's so important to to break that up. So I'm glad you mentioned the walking. Thanks. I also want to just give people the resources. So right now, if you are experiencing a mental health crisis and seeking immediate help, contact one of the following 911 or campus safety, which is 509-527-5777. You can also text home to 741741. LGBTQIA plus students, text START to 678678. Students of color can text Steve to 741741. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. The Walla Walla Crisis Response Services is 509-524-2999. And the Trevor Lifeline is 866-488-7386. I'd like to wrap up this interview with a quote. And this quote, I think, is said by none other but than Hannah Montana. <laughs> Will you share it with us, Victoria? Yeah. Um, it's from the song, Nobody's Perfect. And it goes, if I'm not doing too well, why be so hard on myself? From 2007. <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Victoria, and I hope we get to talk soon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I feel like, yeah, I, I love thinking and talking about emotions. So it's been nice. It's an important conversation to have, especially right now. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for inviting me. And now we have a quick word from our sponsors. Mark your calendars, everyone. 
Whitman's first ever virtual career fair is on October 21st from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and registration is open. Register for group presentations, sign up for one-on-one -on -one time with employers, build your own schedule, and attend for as long as you are able. There are a wide range of industries represented. Check out bit.ly backslash vcf underscore 2020 to see them all and claim your spot. The SEC presents Craft Your Future, a professional development series. Join Julie Dunn on Monday, October 12th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. and learn the art of honing your presentation skills. This professional development series is designed to offer all interested students the opportunity to learn more around the holistic vital skills that will boost their career and amp life readiness. There are three sessions in October, two in November, and two in December. See you there.